Well, are you saying then that the last week was an overreaction? I mean, you could see it from the perspective of the police when they don't know where that guy is and they don't know. Uh, they think he has bombs. Uh, and they think he's going to use them. They shut down the city. I mean, then then everybody gets completely freaked. That's right. So the president declares, you know, he says, you know, Americans refuse to be terrorized. And ultimately, that's what we'll remember from this week. You got to be kidding. You know, believe that. And I'll, I've got a bridge in Brooklyn to sell you. I mean, the, the bombings provoked the most intense display of law enforcement and media coverage since 9-11. The place was in full lockdown. The headlines scream, you know, ghost town, city in terror, war zone. Public transportation was stopped. A no-fly zone was proclaimed. People told to stay indoors. Schools and universities closed. Hundreds of FBI agents pulled from, you know, really other pressing investigations to exclusively focus on the case. 10,000 law enforcement officials, other state and city agents, heavy weapons, armored vehicles, helicopters, planes, all close to martial law with the tools of the security state mobilized to track down, you know, a couple of of young immigrants with low-tech explosives and small arms who failed to reconcile their problems of identity and so became amateur terrorists. You know, the events were shocking and brutal, but this is, of course, you know, part of the overall U.S. reaction to terrorism since 9-11, where... Now, I think perhaps never in history of so few armed with so few means caused so much fear in so many. It's like the anarchists a century ago. It's precisely the outsized reaction that sponsors of terrorism have always used to terrorize. So how do you how do you reverse that? Because it, to me, it's kind of like great white sharks. You know, I mean, very few people die from a great white shark attack, but great white sharks are so scary that they get incredibly dramatized. Uh, and so we we get incredibly afraid of the water. I mean, it, and it's the same thing with a terrorist attack. It's so scary that it gets that it, it reverberates. Yeah, Corey, you know Henry Ford used to call this the jerk effect. You know, when the, you hit a pothole for the first time, you get really all, you know, you're surprised. You get all excited, blood rushes, and you start being very worried about potholes everywhere. But then it should die down, right? Um, even if it was. Uh, a massive attack. Uh, you can't expect a massive attack uh, every time. Um, and, and I think it's all, I mean, look at the difference between, say, the reaction even to Pearl Harbor in World War II uh, compared to this. I mean, that certainly was a much more momentous event and mobilized the entire world and the entire nation and everything about it. And it really was a world historical struggle where the outcome wasn't decided by any means in advance. Okay, so Edward R. Murrow, a veteran journalist, he's at the uh, White House, and he hears of the attack. And first thing he does is says, I can't report this until uh, the administration uh, knows what's going on and has a plan to address the American people. I mean, no one would do that in this country. You have a scoop. It's a 24-hour news cycle. And uh, then there's this you know, frenetic, hyperkinetic competition uh, for sensationalism. And uh, the politicians who are have to respond to the media because that's the way they get their message, both both from the people and to the people, they buy into it. And so this rather marginal phenomena uh, certainly never threatens the uh, United States infrastructure, economy, uh, uh, or the society in, in any really sincere way. But, of course, our reaction does. Um, so how do you stop it? Well... You've got to stop the hysteria. Yeah, but you also have 
I mean, a lot of this is not even media. A lot of this is social media. I mean, I I got news about the, most of my information from Twitter. Of course, it was mostly wrong, right? <laughs> or a lot of it was wrong in the immediate first 10, 15 minutes. So I knew extremely fast and everybody was talking. I mean, there's no self-restraint on there, even if major media were doing self-restraint. You'd still have this flood of social media pictures and comments. Oh my God, just heard an explosion. Yeah, but then the media and the politicians can say, well, hold off, guys. Let's, you know, here we've got a lot of noise. Let's see what the message is here. And let's not, you know, overreact. Like CNN posts a guy, you know, accuses the wrong people. Uh, headlines scream, you know, 12-man terror cell. I mean, even a few years ago when we were doing studies of suicide bombing for the U.S. government, we found that uh, newspaper articles and stories and television art, especially television press, uh, got between 30 to 50% of their facts wrong and even the names of the people involved misidentified. So when we were doing data analysis, uh, what made our, our stuff a little better than most was that we just ignored everything written for the first six months. And then we, you know, we actually went through things like court transcripts where you do trial, trial is uh, cross-examination trial was very much like peer review, uh, and you can you can filter the information. Now you can't do that in the beginning. The public demands a reaction, but again, the whole the reaction the public demands is stoked by the sort of hysterical reaction that's that's reported and out there. And the job of politicians in the media should be, you know, to help the people. Well, let me just clarify because I think this may be controversial. Are are you also saying that this what you're calling the hysterical reaction does that fire up? Are you arguing that that fires up terrorists? I mean, do they want they want publicity or do they want to kill people? They want publicity. I mean, publicity yeah. is the oxygen of terrorism. Look, these are mostly young men for whom Mortal Combat and the Band of Brothers in the service of a great cause is provides the ultimate adventure and maximum. Especially in the eyes of their peers, and so for many of these disaffected guys, jihad's a heroic cause that holds promise that anyone from anywhere in the world can make a mark against the most powerful country in the history of the world. But because these guys thrive and act in small groups and among networks of family and friends, not in large movements or armies, their threat can only match their ambitions if it's fueled way beyond actual strength by publicity, which is the oxygen of terrorism. So, like nations, they avoid publicizing killings, well, whether it's ethnic cleansing or even collateral deaths from drones. But the whole the whole purpose of terrorism is to be spectacular and have an act uh, which even fails, by the way, which can even fail, uh, amplified all out of proportion by uh, the media and the hysterical reaction of the politicians. I mean, God. For God's sake, there was a global security alert in 190 countries after this thing. I mean, even after Faisal Shahzad fizzled found with him, with you know the guy is such, you know, basically such a such a moron that he tried to ignite a um, gas canister with a firecracker. Uh, there was a national alert. The whole country was put on national alert, military and civilian. I mean, this is really crazy, and in fact. That is what makes terrorism terrorism. We help terrorists terrorize. And and if we could show restraint, to the extent that we show restraint, okay, and let people simply go on with their lives and show people carrying on with their lives, 
than terrorism in whatever form can never succeed and probably fade away.